0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA member FDIC.
1: With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in cool (laughs) yep even easier than that and with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts is it even a decision that's banking reimagined what's in your wallet terms apply see capital one.com bank for details capital one and a member fdic
2: hey ray since it's been so hot out you've been doing a lot of yard work like
0: myself how you feeling i'm hot i also realize that when you're out there and you're bending around in different positions, you're getting down on your knees. The fact is, I'm feeling it a little bit and I could use some CBD. And I'll tell you what, One CBD is really showing me that they know what to do when it comes to taking care of helping people with pain. Everything from soft gels to oils to gummies and salves and bombs, And it's all online at OneCBD.com.
2: I like the fact that they're organically grown. They are third-party lab tested. They are consciously created. It is... Made in the USA I personally like the gummies Because I have a sweet tooth
0: It's all 100% organic It's all made the best way With the best strains And that's what's important When you're choosing a CBD product
2: And one of the many great things About their website That he has full disclosure So that you too can read up about it And find out what may work best for you He personally had to find something That worked for him Because of his medical issues And Ty's Story is right on the the website. And if
0: you go there, they'll give you 20% off your first order when you use the code BALANCE at 1CBD.com. That's 1CBD. Achieve a renewed sense of balance. Welcome to episode 16 of your favorite new podcast, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. Hello. Hey, guess what, Marcus? What? We have a new first here. We have our first sponsor of the Imbalance History (laughs) Podcast. Thanks to our good friends at Crooked Eye Brewing on Montgomery Avenue in Hapro. A great place to hang out and enjoy amazing brews. But we want to thank them. You can find them on all the social media and online. Just uh, Google Crooked Eye Brewery. And uh, we thank the Pauls and Jeff and everybody there for their support. Our first sponsor here on the Imbalance history podcast so we have a listener suggestion marcus for this week's episode number 16 in our crazy podcast uh, eric major who follows us on facebook and as a listener obviously suggested almost at the beginning that we had to do an episode about the man who's called the father of rock and roll i'm talking about charles edward anderson barry that's four names i know that's why they just call him Chuck, I guess. I
2: think it's easier.
0: <laughs> Before we get into talking about Chuck, um, you got some interesting feedback on uh, Facebook this week. Tell us about it.
2: Yeah, we had a fantastic two-part interview with Kenny Aronson. In the last two episodes. Yep. Not only did he fill in holes in the imbalanced history of rock and roll, but he had great stories to share oh, yeah. like seriously great stories to share that also answer questions and show the direction of how rock and roll was moving back
0: then yeah it was really good uh, insights. thank you kenny
2: yeah and thank you to tom semioli bravo guys great interview with kenny aronson love the work you're doing most simpatico with my know your bass player site and video series kenny is a terrific interview we're hoping to get him on film as well keep up the great work i'm listening
0: sweet totally sweet tell you what else was sweet what the way that chuck berry wrote and played that rock and roll that is true
2: now i'm curious as to how he developed his groove when things were so different musically at that time because it wasn't as edgy as what chuck berry was doing
0: well if you think about it He's out there growing up in the St. Louis area. He kind of is a Missouri guy all his life, right up to the end when mm-hmm. uh, when he passed away at age 90, right after releasing his last album. And uh, he was country. He, he had an influence of country music as well as rhythm and blues and everything else that he was hearing. Like, we talk about how we were like sponges with music. I yeah. think Chuck was the same way when he's a young guy. Uh, he came from a, a, a his mom was a principal and his dad was a contractor and a deacon. A, what you would call a middle class family. They were of a middle class. Era, and yeah, that's in
2: the forties. That's rare for the African American community, and it was still segregated.
0: And Chuck had a wild hair up his ass.
2: Ooh, and got he was himself
0: a- in a jam. You know, uh, a very difficult time. And this is before he was known for music or anything, and ended up in a. I guess it was like reform school and was sent there until he was uh, released on his 21st birthday uh, in 1947. And that's where I think the musical journey really began. Um, when people who've talked about hearing Chuck before he got famous or maybe on some of the earlier records that I'm not familiar with, uh, they talk about like kind of a country feel to it. Buck Owens has said stuff about uh, some kind of musical synchronicity there with, you know, that's, that's similar sounds. Yeah. But uh, I guess he figured out how he'd figured out how to roll and eventually Chuck figured out the rock part. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's when things really took off for yeah.
2: And it's interesting because we've talked a lot about the gospel aspect, the Pentecostal aspect of rock and roll, but we really haven't delved much into the hillbilly Americana branch of the rock and roll family tree. And that's fascinating because normally you see that more with the Caucasian musicians. Versus the non-white musicians due to the fact that the soul and the gospel was so big and so strong in radio at that
0: time. That's true. That's, a, that's something that I like don't think re- people realize. You know, people tend to think of the, the gospel influence as being in church, which obviously it started as, but it also had a huge following in on radio. AM radio cases. was monstrous with gospel. Yeah. And, and, you know, in some ways it still is. Uh, it's kind of gone full circle. But while he's uh, playing around, he hooks up with a guy named Johnny Johnson who would be part of his band for, um, I guess, on and off for years when he had a band, uh, his own band. And uh, they started playing around. And by 1955, Chuck makes his way to Chicago. He runs into Muddy Waters. And it, we didn't even talk much about Chess Records and their history. Not yet. But by the mid-'60s, some of the uh, success that they'd had Um, it it began to wane a little bit. I always look at the movie Cadillac Records. It's not historically accurate, but it gives you an idea of what was going on in there. And Chuck's arrival, he's heralded as a bit of um, maybe a savior to Chess Records. And he delivers. Look at it. I mean, look, he comes out and uh, starts doing uh, his own songs, uh, you know, uh, working on, uh, reworking Ida Red and the Maybelline and, Uh, that takes off. And then, of course, we were just talking about the list of songs that Chuck Berry released. He has his big hit with Roll Over Beethoven. You were talking about ELO still nods to him every night.
2: Yeah, they still close their shows with it. I saw Jeff Lynne last summer, and he still closed his show with it.
0: Well, just a a quick aside, if you think about it, that song, Roll Over Beethoven, to a bunch of guys from Birmingham, England, who are playing classically-infused rock and roll, was the epitome of what they could do in addition to creating their own music coming out of the move and becoming ELO so it became a natural for them and how can you not if you're ELO play that sucker every night I know it's too good
2: and the fact that they had the cellos and the violins to it and it still has a meaty, big sound is right. phenomenal. Like, it's meaty as hell by ELO. I mean, don't get me wrong, the Chuck version, magical, but ELO really did it a solid.
0: What happens for him in this period of time at chess is he, we mentioned uh, Rollover Beethoven and Maybelline, and then he writes uh, School Days and Rock and Roll Music and Sweet Little 16 and Johnny Be Good, which obviously is one of the all time rock and roll songs because it put together elements that hadn't been heard before. It took rock and roll into some places that uh, it it wasn't going before. It had been uh, predominantly uh, watered down and uh, targeted in the marketing area towards uh, white suburban teenagers and uh, I guess urban teenagers back then. A lot of kids lived in the city. So now you've got this different sound and a guy who's uh, really bringing in the uh, the Bucks for the chess game. Then he gets into trouble again, and we talked about this a little bit. I, I, they kind of portray it well in Cadillac Records, and it's uh, the problem of uh, Chuck's dalliance with underage ladies. Yes. And it gets him in trouble again. And, and it's really sad because at this point, everyone's considering him the father of rock and roll because he took it places that it hadn't gone before he created a whole mystique outside of the mainstream and then took it mainstream you know i also have a special place of affection in my heart for little richard who was Uh. always you know well richard wasn't shy about trying to get attention he was always good at his he always when he would give an interview or talk on tv before he would do an appearance that his his demeanor was always over the top And he was quick to say, like, who says Chuck Berry's the father of rock and roll? So he kept going on and on and on about it. And finally somebody said, yeah, he's the father, Richard, but you're the architect. And he was like, that's right, baby. I'm the architect, and after wow. that, they kind of set that kind of settled that. And I don't know when all that was going on. i, I was not mm. even sure I was born then. But late fifties, yeah, late fifties, probably before I was even here. So that's but, one of the early rock and roll like rivalries. battles yeah, rivalries. Yeah, Think about bit. it, because you didn't really have a whole lot of that otherwise. There was a lot of uh, when you look at uh, the Sun Records gang, they were all pulling for each other, yeah. recording each other's records and stuff like that. But you know, you look at this list of songs, and these are all the singles that Chuck Berry released and it's like what like three i condensed it down to three pages hundreds of singles and it's and the thing is every one of those that i have check marks next to are songs that were, were like hits like havana moon and hail hail rock and roll and come on and things like that and then there's the big check marks the ones that really changed it for people like you know carol and back in the usa and little queenie uh, things like that and no particular place to go. These are songs that inspired Chuck Berry lovers to form bands and to play those songs long after Chuck had stopped being making that the crux of his shows And uh, that's another thing the Beatles Chuck were influenced shows, by them. Absolutely
2: You hear it in their music the stones the yep.
0: Beatles everybody will cite him as the kinks
2: You have to all of them
0: now. He toured for a long time. He did a lot of shows back in those days. Was he was,
2: doing like 250 300 a
0: year back in probably, those days? Probably. And, and he, at one point, wow. at one point he had a band, but then things changed. And I'm, and I, we got to look deeper into this maybe in the uh, in a future episode or on an update. Um, he no longer traveled with a band. Um, he was playing, he would show up with the car at Cadillac, or I think he had a station wagon at one point too. He would show up, he would take the guitar and the amp out of the out of the trunk, lock it up, put the keys in his pocket. Inside that trunk was a suitcase full of cash from the previous shows. He mm-hmm. had to pay him cash, and he showed up, did the show. Yep. By the way, the thing that changed when he didn't have his own band every night was he would play with a local pickup band, and that was had to be in the '60s or later because when I saw him in the '70s, he was doing it because everybody in every town. Had at least one band that knew how to play the Chuck Berry catalog, right? Wouldn't you think?
2: Absolutely. If you got a band, uh, if you if, if he's coming to town solo and paying musicians to back him up every night, you bet.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it was just a natural, you know, part of it too. You know, and, until things got different in the seventies, mm-hmm. and even then, uh, my one experience seeing Chuck Berry—can I bore you with it?
2: No, no, it's not boring <laughs> at all. Stop. It's probably exciting.
0: There was a club over in Jersey called Alexander's in Browns Mills. And near the base, so the shows there always had a uh, a member of the guys from the base, so it was always a bit of a, a fun affair. And we traveled over from PA because I was like, this is it. This may be my only chance to see Chuck Berry. It was in the 70s, right? Whoa. So me and my buddy Metal Mike and my wife Barbara at the time, we go over and we find Alexander's. Back in those days, we didn't have GPS kids. Uh, So we find Alexander's, we get our tickets, and we go in, and there's Chuck Berry's opening band, the local band. I won't say their name because they had a rough night. They were fine as the opening band. Chuck walks out, plugs in, and starts playing. And as he would do with what I later learned with every band was, he made sure they knew what he was going to play to start and then he just kind of went from there, figuring they would follow along. Not the case. Really? Multiple times, I saw him go over and yell at guys while in the middle of still playing. Now, he still did the duck walk then. He still did all the, all the moves and all that. This is one of the things I'll never forget about this night. And anybody who was there knows and probably remembers it, too. He goes back. He's yelling into the ear of the drummer, and he leans over and and he falls off the back of the stage. What? Yes, he falls off the back of the stage. I couldn't believe it. Did
2: he cut the show, show
0: short or did he get back up and play? I, I, first off, realize that at this point he's probably 50 years old. Yeah. He falls off the stage, everybody's gasping, the music keeps playing, and I shit you not, all of a sudden he comes duck walking up the steps that lead up to the back of the stage, never missed a note played on played the whole show he was a little less cantankerous towards the band after that but maybe it was because they were fi- probably scared shitless that, yeah. that they were going to get killed or be <laughs> responsible for being the band was on stage <laughs> when chuck died they at that whoa but that's my chuck Berry uh concert moment that's kind of a cool story if you
2: really think about it something like that doesn't happen very often if at all that's a rarity to see somebody a great musician like that fall off the stage i know we read about it more in the paper but right. that's only because of social media and things like that that it seems like it may happen more than it does but
0: back then if something happened unless there was a reporter writing about it and there might have been a couple of reporters there i don't remember
2: we'd have to pull out the microfilm randy the micro alexander fish. are you listening
0: randex was a writer for them back in the oh, 70s I don't know
2: interesting no, randax randax
0: are you there wait a minute no, i'm doing my math randy and i are about the same age probably not but you okay. never know he started young so you know that's that's a, his live thing was was always incredible and uh, he he was always the showman
2: did he sound good live like did the music sound electric and make you move and feel oh, yeah it was like, great
0: it was ah. seeing chuck Berry. and his
2: voice sounded, sounded good? great awesome sounded great but it sounded like it was a very simple setup, too.
0: Well, yeah. He had he, a, a, a bass guitar and drums behind him, and he just had to have his amp set up. They did their thing, and then he walked out, turned on, walked up, plugged in, and started the show. It was, it was uh, really great as far as uh, going to see a show. It wasn't like a half hour, thirty five, forty 35, 40 minute changeovers. Oh, I don't think anybody cares about that but, part of it, but it was really uh, the falling off the stage thing was the, was the thing. Wow
2: can't believe that and the fact that he carried a suitcase of cash got paid in cash yeah and ditched his band so he could maximize his money
0: there's a quote that i read from chuck berry but before we give the quote i want to do um our sponsors uh, their righteous moment here on the imbalanced history of Uh, rock and roll podcast. Uh, We are sponsored by our good friends at Crooked Eye Brewing. They're located at 13 East Montgomery Avenue in the heart of Hatboro, Pennsylvania. And if you got to travel a little to go see them, it'll be worth the trip. Trust me.
2: Good beers. When you stop by, you'll feel like you're part of the gang from your first visit. You get to meet Paul and Paul, brothers-in-law, who started Crooked Eye Brewing at home. It's one of those small breweries that grew from home brewing. Yeah.
0: Meet the Crooked Eye crew, who make every night fun, and maybe you'll make some new friends, too. Meet Chief Brewer Jeff Mulheron, whose tasty brews include their Burrow Blonde Ale and a personal fave, Regimental Lady.
2: And try their Crooked IPA, a sturdy American IPA with a rich golden color, and aromas of citrus and pine. For those of you who like
0: hops, but don't want to be overhopped. It's their Crooked Eye P.A. Hey, they're serving nightly in the heart of Hapro. Crooked Eye has the cure for what ails you since 2014. And there's more to the fun at Crooked Eye than just the brews. Check their website,
2: CrookedEyeBrewery.com, for a full list of music events and other fun scheduled each month. Great
0: brews, great people, and fun times. Next time you want a true craft beer experience, stop by for a pint and make it Crooked Eye.
2: You will feel like family the moment you walk through the door. Door. crooked eye brewing
0: thanks to them for their sponsorship of our little imbalanced history podcast
2: yeah thank you very much crooked eye because this has been so much fun to do so far and it gets more and more fun with each recording so back to chuck back
0: to chuck listen he gets in trouble we talked about it multiple with, times and well he gets in trouble and he gets out of jail things have changed and he signs with Mercury Records. Now, uh, the Beatles and the Stones have both had hits with Chuck Berry songs. And-
2: did he leave Chess or did Chess drop him because of his legal sexual issues with underage girls? Or had his contract expired? Or were things a little looser as far as contractual law back then?
0: Sounds like a podcast update research team thing to me. Because I'm not really <laughs> sure about that. <laughs> Deal. He starts having hits at Mercury, too. No particular place to go, which we mentioned before. Um, uh, you also had You Never contend and Nadine. These are great songs, great Chuck Berry songs in the 60s uh, when things are really changing, especially here in America.
2: You had a lot of novelty hits here in America doing really well in the radio and then you had Chuck Berry just wrecking it. Yeah. Like seriously wrecking it with that guitar.
0: And this is a scene from Cadillac Records that I remember. It's how pissed off was Chuck Berry when he realized that he may have been plagiarized by... The Beach Boys. Yeah. Was he pissed? Um, It seemed like he was, at least the way they portrayed it in the movie. These legal things tend to get worked out. But he claimed that uh, Surfing USA was really uh, his sweet little 16.
2: Let's turn him loose. Ladies and gentlemen, Chuck Berry, sweet little 16.
1: (laughs) They're really rocking in Boston and Pittsburgh.
0: It really was a, it was a lift and I don't know what would make you do that. I guess you just feel like you got the idea. And you got the melody in your head, and you put words to it, and suddenly you're making it your own song. But that ended up being a whole thing. They used know? a
2: lot of the, but they used a lot of the ra- the the w- lyrics and the phrasing and stuff that Chuck Berry was using at the sa- same time. The whole style was exactly the same.
0: Oh, there's no doubt about that, and that's what led to his uh, disbelief. Is a, 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 probably a better way to put it. <laughs> that somebody would be so bold. <laughs> so you know, Chuck goes through the '60s and. Um, you know, and he's he's having some hits, and and he's he built the uh, the, the palace, the big joint he built out there. He's, yeah. He he got out of St. Louis and moved out to Wentzville, and yeah. really started building for his future because he was smart. He said something, and I think this might have come from his mother, the educator. that there are five things that are important in life: your health, education, making some money and I forget what the other two were. That was his quote on the five things. Wow. That... So, you know, he had a, a kind of a devil may care attitude about things with uh, and sometimes that got him into some trouble. And then he kind of got back on track. But and, did he? Well, it's put this way, it looked that way. I mean, even then, I forget who was in the White House when he did like this big White House concert thing and he was It was it... either
2: LBJ or Yeah, it
0: might have... I might I kind of see what year that was, but oh, here it is. I no wonder I couldn't find it. It's all the way down here in my notes. In 1979, <laughs> it was Jimmy Carter. Oh wow. So, you know, he's he's doing all these uh these more mainstream acceptable things. And one of the things he did, which you alluded to earlier, he did the London Chuck Berry sessions, which is uh was an iconic record in my household growing up. And it included on the live side uh a little ditty called My Ding-A-Ling, which was pretty big record for Chuck, wouldn't you say? Number one? Yeah. His only number one? Yeah, I think it was. And all those records that sold all those copies, that was huge. And it was a huge success again for chess um, because they had done a series of London sessions. I have a number of them. And, uh, London Helen Wolf sessions is perhaps the best of them. And I love Chuck Berry's London Chuck Berry sessions. And uh, just the whole my dangling thing, it just kind of put them in a different. I don't know, in a different direction, and that's about, after that, he pretty much became a solo act, the lone wolf on the road, uh, making his way to the next town, and uh, I don't know how you survive all that time without getting robbed and people knowing you got cash, but uh, he, he made it work, and, he, and when he got older, he continued to make it work, but then something caught up with him from the past. Johnny Johnson had played on all those records, piano on all those Chuck Berry records, and And really had been involved in the formation of a lot of the songs. And uh, I think it was through a documentary. They found him driving a bus in St. Louis. And they asked him about those days. And he said, oh, we were just making up songs and having fun in the studio. And that's when his family and he finally realized that he probably should have gotten songwriting credits. And they settled that. It took some sa- saber rattling, but mm-hmm. uh, they settled that. And I was glad to see that.
2: Did he get back royalties for some of his work as well? Yeah, he did. Good. And I hope Chess and them paid him for it because they needed to. Well, I don't. And I'm sure Chuck did had to as well.
0: It's a whole nother episode, I think, about chess. <laughs> but you got to remember, at one point, Leonard Chess sold it. Uh, I think he sold it to uh, MCA. And so that means it's somewhere in the Universal Music Group catalog. Okay. Now, in fact, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the chess masters were in that terrible they fire, were. which we just heard about that happened 10 years ago. So.
2: Well, we heard about the fire, but they kept from us the For information yeah, yeah. that the masters like Chuck Berry and Aretha and all of that stuff were all ruined. Kinds of stuff. All ruined. ruined. Ruined, if not First burned. recording masters. Yes. And the second recording masters are good, but there's a special feel and a special sound yes. to those original recordings. That's that why they were kept in a,
0: in a special vault with the, con, you know, the air dries could be the mm-hmm. perfect conditions for storing. And well, that's a whole nother we thing. We
2: maybe should put all those recordings in the seed bank up in the, uh, yeah. Yeah, they, seriously, maybe it'll be seriously, it'll be safer there yeah. than it will be uh, in any building.
0: You go forward as we were talking about earlier. And once again, um, trouble finds Chuck Berry in, in the 80s and gets accused of assaulting somebody in New York. And it's just... The potty cam incident. Oh, my God. Seriously. In the 90s. Uh, 1990 the, to be yeah. yeah. There were women who said that he had a video camera in a bathroom at his restaurant. In Lens. They settled all these things out. And, and I'm glad that he had the resources to do that. And, and But I think then, even as, as recently as 1990, Chuck's legacy includes his incarcerations, this thing here with the potty cam, as you called it, (laughs) uh, these kind of things. It really doesn't seem to have tarnished or ruined him or his reputation here in the 21st century. And um, I don't really understand why um, some maybe it's because of the era it it happened in or the it was so long ago type thing. But it seems that these kind of things were they to happen with an artist uh, today would be uh, damning if not career-ending,
2: oh, they would be totally career-ending in today's PC world. I mean, look at what's happening with Michael Jackson. A lot of people are taking his music off of radio stations, and they're doing that with other artists who have. But is it right? That's a whole different discussion for a different day.
0: I think it is. When it comes to Chuck Berry, though, I think that you know the the legend uh, of Chuck Berry is best put in context, maybe by other people who've got a little something to say about it, and I've got some great quotes here. Love to hear them. Um, I remember hearing Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, Big Bill Brunsey, Chuck Berry, and Bo Diddley, and not really knowing anything about the geography or the culture of the music, but for some reason, it did something to me. It resonated. Who was
2: that? Who do you think it is? Keith? Eric Clapton. Wow. I figured it was a Brit, man. Those Brits, man, they really understood oh, the fool. music. Oh, yeah? They, they got really a... understood it.
0: I plug into a lot of old rock and roll: Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis. I love all that stuff. Angus Young, uh, this wow. is uh, yeah. It makes sense
2: though. But if you if you look at how Angus plays, he plays totally Chuck Berry style in a lot of
0: ways. Want to know what Johnny Ramone said? Yes, I never liked blues, and I really didn't like jazz. I like Chuck Berry, <laughs> <laughs> wow. which is a compliment yeah. for any member of the Ramones. Oh, absolutely. All right. And here's a guy who's more contemporary who I really like, Chris Stapleton.
2: Uh, That dude can play guitar like nobody's (laughs)
0: business. He really is amazing. Great songwriter. I'm not reinventing the wheel here. Or should I do it in Crispy? Do it in Crispy. I'm not not reinventing the wheel here. I'm not Chuck Berry or Bill Monroe. Guys like that are from outer space.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He's kind of right about that. They're, They're in a
0: whole world of their own. There's only one true king of rock and roll. His name is Chuck Berry. Who do you think said that? Steve Land Morris. Who? Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder? Yeah. What? Uh, here's a good one from Jerry Lee Lewis, a guy who was in there in the in the 50s, yeah. right? My mama said you and Elvis are pretty good, but you're no Chuck Berry. Oh, oh can wow. Can you imagine? You're Mr. Blue, you on know, blue suede shoes. You're all over it. You're all over it, radio <laughs> and everything. Your mom tells you you're no Chuck Berry. Boy, what a shot. That's right. a kick in the onions. And uh, my hero, John Lennon, maybe said it best. He said, should I do it, my John? Yeah. If you try to give rock and roll another name, you might call it Chuck Berry. Wow.
2: That's pretty good. That's really good. That's a great quote from John And Lennon. it is. Yeah. And it's interesting because so many people claim that, you know, called Chuck the godfather of rock and roll in a yeah. lot of ways. It's not far from the truth. But I'm curious as to what he heard that got him to where he was what records he was listening to as a kid that helped him. No, Chuck. That helped him find that style that he developed. Like, what was it in him that made him develop that style, that edge, that attitude? Was part of it him being in juvie till he was 21 Maybe. and having an attitude and Maybe. his music and his guitar playing took on that attitude of
0: juvie. They say jail changes a man. That's what they say. And all I'd say is that that has to be an influence, but musically you got to look at where he was in the country. And then the time late forties, early fifties uh, in Missouri, Ooh. right? Middle of the country. Racist um, state. Well, yeah, but more than just that, musically there really wasn't much on the radio probably gospel like we talked about and country so there was a lot of and that's why I think there's a commonality to his early sound before he really really codified it uh, with people like uh, Buck Owens in the cal, Ooh. especially those California twangers.
2: Well, it's interesting because to the north of them you had the Chicago blues, right? And to the south you had Lake of the Ozarks, which was hillbilly Americana. So in he Hoover. was right. St. Louis was right smack dab in sure, the middle, middle of American. it. So yeah, they got both from
0: the south and from the north. But um, that'd be something uh, I got. I have to read a lot more. Go oh, back we and do. reread a couple books and figure I love that reading.
2: out reading is good
0: you know we lost chuck age 90 puts out the last record chuck and it had some good stuff on it too i might add
2: are you talking about the posthumous record that yeah, came, it came out right out yeah me. that I mean, record he was is working on it right
0: up to the end i think
2: Yep. dude never varied from his style man his style was always chuck berry style and if you don't know what that is don't pick up a guitar <laughs> <laughs> go listen to the records
0: we got to thank our sponsor, Crooked Eye Brewing, uh, right there in the heart of Happer on Montgomery Avenue, and uh, we'll be giving you some more information about them as we thank them for their support of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Hey, before we wrap it up,
2: <laughs>
0: uh, we got to do the podcast update. Are you ready? I'm ready. Last week, um, in episode, these are all from episode 13. The Zeppelin episode. The Zeppelin episode. Remember we were talking about uh, reviews of the band? Yeah. I went back and I checked. Um, in 1969, Lester Bangs wasn't uh, definitely wasn't writing notes in his high school notebook. Uh, he was starting his career as a stringer for Rolling Stone. And did you know what his first review was? Sabbath? No, that came soon after. It was a panning of the MC5's Kick Out the Jams. What? what? Are yes. you serious? Can you believe that? So he wasn't rescribbling notes in high school. and, uh, And in his diss of Sabbath's first album, which came shortly after them, he slagged them as cream imitators. What? Okay, and I found one where I'm re- I'm wrong in the last episode because I kept referring to the cover of um, Houses of the Holy is on that hill. Yeah. I forgot to mention it's just the Giant's Causeway, a natural wonder of the world.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, just a natural wonder of the world.
0: And uh, didn't you mention uh, uh, them crooked vultures? I in did. In that episode? Well, I found this article after we did that episode. And it's an article now, I guess published a couple of weeks ago, in which Jimmy Page reveals that he had a notion that he might be part of them Crooked Vultures with John Paul Jones and Dave Grohl, but that the invite never came. Um, he said it was back after the Zeppelin 02 show in London, back oh, in 08, 2007 like or, 7, or 7, 08, yeah, at the 02 Arena, and uh, he was jamming with the foos at Wembley, and they were hanging, and the feeling was good, and it kind of came up, but he never got the invite, but missed it
2: by this much and paul mccartney offered his base services to that as well yes, he did. Which is interesting that he went with John Paul Jones.
0: That whole project is something we should talk about sometime. Just Them Crooked Vultures? About, yeah, oh,
2: absolutely. That. You have Dave Grohl, you have Josh Homme, you have John Paul Jones, and then you have Alan, um, what's his name, from the band Seven, who played on the back of the uh, Chris Cornell's first solo the, record. Yeah. So he and he and Natasha um, Johansson, Johansson, Alan Johansson and Natasha Johansson, who was his wife who uh, passed away from cancer, were the backing band behind Chris Cornell on the Euphoria Morning record and he's big in like the Seattle scene as well. so All connected, man. It's crazy. We just threw those connections together. I know.
0: Hey, by the way, I'm starting to get into the book Loser that you gave me. Uh, it's pretty cool. Oh, there's starting to learn so much stories. stuff about Seattle there. Just want you to know. Check
2: us out on email at imbalancedhistory at gmail.com You can hit our website www.imbalancedhistory.com Or you can check us out on Facebook as well at The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Follow us on Twitter, Ray Cube Radio, or Marcus and Darkus.
0: And tell a friend because now not only are we on iTunes and Google Play, but you can find us on your TuneIn app as well. We're growing and we thank all of you for the support you're giving us here uh, on our little crazy podcast. Well, it's time to go, buddy. I'm Ray Coop, heading out the door. Um, Marcus, are you ready for the next go-round?
2: Oh, am I so ready for the next go-round. These are so much fun that each one, prepping for each one and getting ready for each one gets more and more fun, so
0: yes. All right, well, we'll get ready for Episode 17. Thanks for listening to Episode 16, all about Chuck Berry. Thanks to Eric Mazur for uh, suggesting it. Thank you, Eric. I'm Ray Coop, checking out, and we'll catch you next time right here on The Imbalance History
1: of Rock and Roll